Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City Jazz drummer, performer, producer, multi-instrumentalist, and educator, Brandon Draper. He is a restless sort of cat who a friend just aptly called him a chameleon. He grew up in Lindsborg, Kansas, and went to Bethany College there. Then he moved on to the University of New Mexico. Over the years, he's been in a lot of different jazz outfits. And he's been in a lot of groups, like the Turkish jazz group Alaturka, and he toured the United States with the Livetronica Pioneers, Particle. He also plays guitar with his father, who is a renowned Hammond B3 organist in the blues realm, in their Draper family band. And he has run the acclaimed children's interactive music program called Drum Safari with his wife, Taryn. These days, he is on the music faculty at the University of Kansas and always has a plan of moving in forward motion. So please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. So, Brandon, thank you for taking a minute out. I know it was a quick response to get back with me. I appreciate you giving me some time and having the opportunity to talk to you about your life and music. For sure, yeah. Talk to me about what has been going on with you lately. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> That's right. It's interesting. A couple of days ago, a friend of mine, we were talking, and, it, and it's a, a newer friend of mine. I've only known this person a year. And she said, you're like a chameleon, aren't you? You like just fit wherever. I'm like, yeah, I guess. I guess so. Um, so currently what's going on is I teach jazz drum set at the University of Kansas along with the steel bands, and I've blended Brazilian music with the Caribbean steel band music to combine the two for a unique ensemble that we just basically call Brazilian steel. And then I also teach a music business certificate. It's called the Music Enterprise Certificate. It's a a program that I designed a year or two. I guess it's been three years now. Um, when KU bumped me up. So I'm, I'm almost full-time at the University of Kansas. So that's kind of like my main job. And uh, the Music Business Certificate, it combines current music business practices with entrepreneurship, and it changes all the time with, with everything that's happening in the digital market now. So I'm it's really exciting. Like every every semester, we I have to kind of move and change things to help kids push along. But that's that's the teaching component. Um, I also have like three or four jazz and world ensemble things that are happening. I, I have a brand new group called it's uh, the hashtag sign. So it's hashtag four drum set, and that's exactly what it is. Um, it's myself and three other drummers, and that's all I can tell you about it. Um, our debut performance will be March, uh, what is it, March 4th or March 3rd? It's a Thursday. I'm trying to, I, I don't have my calendar in front of me, but it's kind of a mysterious group that will only play really short sets. <laughs> so, um, yeah. it, that's, that's gonna be fun. I've got a new quartet with Jeff Harshbarger, John Kazillermut, and Rich Wheeler, uh, that's a new jazz thing that's happening. And then um, I play guitar and sing in a blues band with my dad. He's a Hammond Organs B3 player. We've made quite a few records and played tons of gigs together, but we're completing uh, our debut record with the Draper Family Band that's going to be pressed to vinyl and 
That should be out pr- late this year. Uh, it'll be toward the end, like fall, uh, early winter. And then in addition to that, I play guitar and sing at two churches. So I have a church gig that I actually don't play drums at. Um, I lead the <clears throat> I lead the musicians and arrange the music, etc. And then that's just like the normal stuff. And then on the flip side, my wife and I have a company called Drum Safari. And that's probably the most exciting of all the things that is going on. We we typically do. I think this this year we're going to have some we're going to clock in maybe 450 shows for the year and that's with our group and two other groups that go out and represent Drum Safari in 10 different states uh, throughout the United States. So our summer tour kicks off right after Memorial Day, and we're in Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, Missouri. I mean, it's all the central states. And then in July, I will go to Milan, Paris, Montreux with the KU Jazz Ensemble to perform a flamenco jazz suite. Um, I also have an 808 record that I'm going to put out on cassette. Uh, 808 is the vintage drum machine. I made a record a year ago that I'm in the completion stage right now. We're just mixing and tweaking, but a lo-fi record put out on cassette tape just as if it would have been made in 1985. And that's the stuff that I listened to growing up. So, um, I'm excited to see where that goes. I think that's it, Joe. I, I didn't write anything down. I don't have notes in front of me, but I think that's about that's about it. I do. Oh, I also have a meditation CD um, that I'm working on for yoga practice. I I, I play instruments for uh, yoga classes at a few different studios. This Saturday I'll be at the Kaufman Center, um, and I think both both classes are sold out. And then the next one's in April. So a lot of a lot of irons in the fire, and I I'm keeping them all cooking. <laughs> I think I yeah. think that's it. No, and and yeah, your brain is the best note right there. It's the best mail note. And you reminded me because I ran into Jeff Parsparger at the Folk Alliance International. That's where I saw you performing with him and Mark Sutherland. Um, oh yeah, the the ensemble Ibitica. That's what it was. Yes, yes, and it, that was awesome. My uh, girlfriend and I caught it. And we were just totally into it, totally mesmerized. So. Um, yeah, that was when I was like, who's playing the drums? And it had been so long since I'd seen you. So, um, but yeah, that was a beautiful show. And you did touch on a lot of things that I, I want to get into specifically, but let me start since we're trying to weave a really good biographical narrative of, of, of you and your life. Let's start where you grew up in Lindsborg, Kansas, and give me an idea of what your childhood was like and how you got interested and woven into music. As a baby, I began thumping my leg when I'd lay on my stomach uh, before I could walk or talk or do anything. And so my, I just always grew up being called Thumper. And I remember even as a child, you know, early memories, it was a really comforting thing to lay on my stomach, thumping my leg to get to sleep. Um, but that started before I could walk and talk. My dad's a blues musician, and so he always had musicians over at the house. And there was a studio in the basement the bands would practice and record in. And so I, I don't remember ever not hitting things. So 
pots and pans and sticks and things, and it was highly encouraged. My parents are are really incredible and, you know, encouraging creative practice. And so at age five, I began drum lessons. Um, the same time I started kindergarten. And that is what I did. I took lessons all through school. I got to, I, I guess at age 11, I won a state of Kansas drum set competition in the 18 and under category. Uh, the other three competitors were 17 and 18 years old. And um, I was 11 and won that. I think it was called Star Jam 90. It was like a Star Search kind of thing. Um, then we, let's see, I went to, in high school, I was an all-state tempanist all three years. I held the timpani chair in the all-state orchestra. I did not do drum set for all-state because... I was already playing in my dad's band. I started sitting in in his band when I was seven and then actually started playing gigs and going on the road doing tours when I was 14. Kind of, My mom didn't think it made sense for me to go on the road with the guys until I had a driver's license. So at age 14, I had a learner's permit that would allow me to drive you know, with my dad in the car. And funny thing is, I never drove. <laughs> we, we, were in a, we were in a tour... We were in a tour van, you know, I, I never drove, but um, the big light turned on in McCook, Nebraska on a tour with one of my dad's blues bands, and they would do the Midwest Circuit playing bars and clubs. Anyways, we're in McCook, Nebraska. It's March of 2000, what was it, would have been 94, 90, 95 maybe. It was March Madness. Dad and I are in the hotel watching basketball eat and take out, and I was like, and I'm missing school. I'm, I'm, my parents excused me from school for a family trip. And uh, I'm like, Dad, this is awesome. This is the life. You know, I was like, I'm on the road. I'm getting paid. We're just watching basketball. And my dad shut the TV off and sat down. He's like, no, Brandon, this isn't it. You don't want to just be hopping from hotel to hotel. You need to go to college. You need to keep studying. You know, if you really want to do this, you need to go as far as you can with it. And it just sucked the energy out of me. I was like, whoa, wait, <laughs> you know. Um, but but it was real. And so when it came time for college, I went to a, a school in Lindsborg. I stayed with my primary teacher. Uh, my primary teacher's name is Dean Kranzler, K-R-A-N-Z-L-E-R. And Dean is known in the central Kansas region for uh, teaching. I mean, he teaches like four schools and has tons of students, and he always has 50% of the all-state kids in his studio. I mean, he's just a brilliant teacher. So I stayed with him through college at Bethany College in Lindsborg, Kansas. I did that on a full scholarship for four years. Then I moved to New Mexico, did a master's degree still uh, focusing on classical percussion. I, I got my degrees in classical percussion. Um, and part of it was I played so much drum set growing up with my dad, I, I didn't need to play drum set that much in school. I didn't matter as much to me. You know, I wanted to focus on all the other stuff. I did play in jazz band, etc. But um, New Mexico graduate school, when I finished there, I subbed with the Santa Fe Symphony and New Mexico Symphony, New Mexico Symphony, um, and then I started playing drum set with a piano player named Kevin Hayes, uh, 
Kevin Hayes is a very well-known jazz pianist, made multiple records on Blue Note, played with Sonny Rollins, Chris Potter, Josh Redman, uh, Al Foster. I think he just made a record. He just put out a duo record with Lionel Luque. And Kevin was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the time. So I got to play with him and just really get my butt kicked and get refined. And that was, I kind of think of that as my postgraduate work. So after years, you know, I think it was three years of playing with him, I moved to Kansas City. Very cool. That's, yeah, Kevin Hayes, is he's a great cat. I've actually had the chance to speak to him a few times. And the amount of mileage he's put on his odometer is amazing, without a doubt. Before we depart your younger part of your life, talk to me about what jazz albums you listened to that were huge. I know your family was very instrumental. It's very unique when, you're, when your dad plays music, but talk to me a little bit about albums. Okay, uh, recordings from childhood. I mean, I grew up in the 80s, so Michael Jackson was king. Um, I, I didn't really get into jazz until later. My dad was, is a blues musician, so Jimmy Smith, and uh, a lot of guitar blues music was being played in the house. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Albert King, Buddy Guy, a um, little bit of James Brown. When I got to high school, the first jazz records that I got into, I, I kind of got into jazz through the GRP record label. So Dave Grusin, which I then actually I played with Dave Grusin in Santa Fe years later. Kind of cool. Uh, but those records would have been like, uh, the Rippingtons, you know, Fusion. I kinda, I, I, I got into jazz through the Fusion stuff. Oh, snap! Joe, I totally spaced this out. I got, a, I had a cassette of Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich doing one of their historic drum battles that I wore the crap out of. I just listened to that nonstop and I would have gotten that like 86. Cool. That would have, you know, I would have been five, you know, six or seven years old. That that would have been the first record. As far as my mind being 100% turned on to jazz, it didn't completely take root until I got to college and I would hang out with other students and we would listen to records. And then the records were Keith Jarrett, Standards Trio, um, Chick Corea, Now He Sings, Now He Sobs, Miles Davis, ESP, Miles Davis, Miles Smiles, Miles Davis, uh, My Funny Valentine, the 1964 concert. I think it's called My Funny Valentine and Four and More, the double record. Everything Herbie Hancock ever had, I mean, my dad had all that stuff. I didn't think that was jazz, though. Like, the album Thrust and Man, uh, Man what's it called, Man Child and yeah. Headhunters with the song Chameleon. I mean, I... I didn't know that was jazz because my dad was always listening to wild keyboard music, like Paul Hardcastle. You know, Paul Hardcastle was an early keyboard player that was using a vocoder. And to me, that was breakdance music. That was what I would breakdance to. You know, I yeah. wore the parachute pants. and So uh, I guess even listening to records is kind of scattered for me. It's like it's all over the place. So are you, you're fluent on the drums and the guitar. Anything else? Yeah. Um, I play bass and piano quite a bit. I might play piano better than I play guitar. I don't, I don't really know. Um, 
in the percussion in the percussion world, I play a a variety of instruments that are highly specialized. So to play the drums is yeah, I play the drum set, but I also specialize in world percussion. So there's a ton of different instruments that have their own technique that it's kind of cool. The reason I'm thinking of it is I get hired to do stuff sometimes over other drummers because I have those specialized instrument skills. It's not like Ensemble Iberica uh, that you saw at Folk Alliance. I don't play drum set with that group. I, I usually put together setups utilizing Middle Eastern percussion, Indian percussion, you know, South African, Cuban, you know, just all, all different types of things. So um, I'm a classically trained vocalist from college, but I don't necessarily do that. So I sing. Um, I played by, you know, I grew up playing violin. I should have said that. My, my drum teacher advised against being in the school band because I was already off and running. And he thought that having to sit and kind of go with the flow of students learning at the beginning, I would become really frustrated. And, uh, you know, back then, there, I, 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 I'm very certain I would have been diagnosed with, like, ADHD or something like that, but the drums and, and having access to musical instruments, that taught me the focus required to handle day-to-day, -day, you know? So I, I studied violin. I, I started playing violin in fourth grade and played all, all the way through high school, and it, it wasn't until middle school that I played, I, I started playing in the band as well as the junior high orchestra. So let me, before we kind of delve into some very specific questions about some other things in your life going on right now, I want to just get kind of a like by year kind of a breakdown. So you went to Bethany College, and when was that? What year? And then you went to the University of New Mexico and then moved back to Kansas City. I just want to get kind of a year breakdown of geography leading up to today. Sure. Uh, 1997 to 2001, I attended Bethany College and got a degree in percussion performance. 2001 to 2003, I was a teaching assistant through the music program at the University of New Mexico, and I, my teaching duty, I wrote and arranged and rehearsed the marching percussion, uh, the drum line. Then 2003 to 2006, I, I designed a world music-focused program at East Mountain High School. It's a, mount, it's a high school south of Santa Fe in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains of New Mexico. And uh, it's, there, it's actually right between the Sangre de Cristo and the Sandia Mountains. And that was a school, it was a charter school, and I, they didn't want a traditional band program, so I created a world percussion ensemble of 30 kids per class, and then I would combine them for concerts. I also taught beginning and advanced guitar at that school and a jazz band and then by the third year I had developed a recording studio and recording arts class. In 2006, summer of 2006, we moved to Kansas City. 
I did, when we first moved to Kansas City, I jumped on uh, staff at Shawnee Mission West High School to direct their drum line and percussion activities. And I'm still involved with them today. I also, when I first moved here, met Bobby Watson through a bunch of mutual friends, and Bobby invited me to come on staff at University of Missouri, Kansas City, to teach jazz drum set. And the first student I had <clears throat> is one of the most brilliant young musicians alive, uh, and his name is Ryan Lee. Uh, Ryan cool. Lee, the drummer. And um, those lessons were scary because I was like, this kid is so talented. I, I don't know what to teach him at a certain point because he's already learned. <laughs> he's just so good. <laughs> um, so that, that was the beginning there. Then 2009, I was hired at the University of Kansas. I taught at both schools for a couple years. And then 2000, January 2011, I left UMKC and... Uh, KU became the primary. Cool. So the one thing you do is you create your own percussion instruments, and I want to know what influences you to do that, whether it's musicians or what inspiration makes you do that. You know, growing up, my dad is a – this is a pretty big realization I had not too long ago, but my dad's a carpenter, and I grew up working with him building – and I think that planted the seed where when I set up a drum set, I'm building something new every single time. Learning to play a traditional drum set was fascinating. The, the pedals and the, you know, the, it, the contraptions. I was fascinated with children's books as a kid that had, you know, pulley system, like Rube Goldberg style things. You know, this hits that, hits that, turns that. And so as I've learned all of these different world instruments, ethnic instruments, I, I blend the techniques and then I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out some new setup. And, and it's funny, sometimes the most intense moment I have, for, you know, preparing for a gig is standing in my studio looking around thinking, okay, what am I going to do this time? How am I going to build? What am I going to play? You know, I don't, I don't just have one drum set I throw in the back of the car and go play seven nights a week. So the influence for creating new setups and instruments and trying to find different ideas, I, I think that all came from seeing my dad build and construct things, you know, even continuing to this day, he still is a builder. So, So what kind of things are you trying to... When you do build these things, what's the end goal? Are you trying to get a new sound? Are you trying to satiate kind of uh, desire to build? What exactly are you doing? Create new sounds. Uh, mo most importantly, keep myself inspired. I want a new playground to go do tricks on. <laughs> I want to. Yeah. I want to go play. I want to have something new to go be inspired by. And um, when I was in graduate school. I was in a slump with jazz drum set, and I just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And a lot of musicians go through this. Almost everyone goes through it at a certain point. So what I did was I took my drum set, and I just set it up completely backwards. I, I set it up left-handed, and I played on it like that for a while to just be challenged to come up with new ideas and, 
and play different ways. And then that resulted in um, coming up with new setups and, and other ideas. I, you know, the other thing, Joe, is having the classical percussion background, I grew up doing intense percussion ensemble work. So, um, you know, when you're playing John Cage music that requires five coffee cans and some Chinese toms, and you have to create a way to set that all up. That you know that that's a that's what modern concert percussion kids are doing on a daily basis. They're you know the the composers of that music are trying to stretch the limits. I have a friend that composes for bubble rap, and uh, it's a percussion instrument. That's so cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah. anything. Any anything is an instrument. So yes, it's I I, cre- I create new things to be to inspire myself and and stay excited, but at the same time, it's kind of built in. It's 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 a built in thing, I guess, to to how I I make music. So the one thing about you too, there's a lot there's a lot of facets that go into you as not only a musician but as a creator. Is you have a wide palette of music that you get involved with you you know um alaturka and all of these other projects that you're involved with talk to me about the range of music that you play from jazz that's more avant to conventional jazz to other electronic music that kind of pushes it how explain how you got into this position where you do so much in such a musical range how i got into it was i spent hours by myself growing up playing instruments just going from one instrument to the next in my house like i said my dad had a recording studio we lived in two different homes as i was growing up when i was in middle school we moved to the country uh, outside of lindsborg and there was a much larger studio there and i would practice four or five hours a day just going from one instrument to the next now how that relates to now is I just want to do it all. Let me give you an example. This week, uh, last night, I played hip-hop drum set. Um, and I used to be the music director for Quixotic. I forgot to mention that. When I first moved to Kansas City, I think the second year I was here in 07, I came on board with the Cirque du Soleil group. Um, they're not Cirque du Soleil. It's a modern Cirque-style company called Quixotic. And why I joined them was they are constantly trying to push the boundaries and the the creative director is also a percussionist. So we were always buying new instruments, creating new instruments, trying to come up with something new and fresh. Um, So this week, this week right now, um, last night I played a hip-hop dance class. So I I played hip-hop drum set. Tomorrow I'm doing drum safari, which is kids' music. Saturday morning, I'm playing for I'm playing tabla for a yoga class at the Kaufman Center. Saturday afternoon, I'm playing snare drum in a brass band, a New Orleans style brass band for the St. Patty's Day Parade. Um, I you know it's just I I need to be I I, I constantly want to be challenged and inspired by all of these different things. So the the breadth of styles that I play is pretty much you name it. 
um, hip hop, jazz, world music. Yeah, I mean, the meditation CD that I have coming out, the electronic music has always been fascinating. I've toured with a band called Particle for a few years. A band, it's a band based in Los Angeles and I, I think now they're, they're more based in New York City. But that was a band that played live Tronica. So it was live musicians playing in the style of EDM, you know, electronic dance music. And I've I've really gotten way into that, like drum and bass and glitchy, you know, complicated electronic music. To me, it's 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 just all percussion and rhythm and sound. And um, I play guitar and sing at the church, but I also have played guitar and sang in bands my whole life and written hundreds of songs. When I left being on the road in two thousand. Uh, 2015, um, I started playing guitar for my daughters at night called Night Night Songs, and I would just do that every single night, so that was my gig. Like, every night, I'd play 30 minute, I'd play a 30-minute gig in my daughter's room, and that's been the most amazing thing, because I don't need to make, I don't need to play that for anyone else. Like, that's my audience. You know, I've, I've met all the goals, so... Um, I also play banjo, mandolin, uh, hammer dulcimer, mountain dulcimer. So I guess I should have listed those instruments earlier. <clears throat> so yeah, I just want to oh. do it all. Yeah, right on. I like it. Yeah, we can add that to the list. So let me ask you this. How do you approach something like particle, quixotic, um, and some of these more eclectic things like Alaturka versus conventional jazz? Do you have a different approach when you go into these? Yeah, I mean it's like it's like playing a. I mean it's it's like playing a, a part. Or um, I was very heavily involved in theater all through high school and college. I was almost thinking about doing theater for masters programs. Um, I, I was very I was ridiculously involved in all of that. So I, I guess that idea of whatever the gig is, okay, that's the role I'm playing now. So if it's conventional jazz, which I would note, I don't play a whole lot of. I, I, I don't do very much of that these days. Um, but when I do do that, I'm, I'm thinking of what that requires, what, in, what musicians and what things have come before me in those styles that I'm, I'm trying to emulate. With Quixotic and with Alaturka, sky's the limit. I can do whatever I want. I'm blending all of these different things. Um, and, you know, in conventional jazz, you ask anybody that plays with me or has heard me, it's, I'm a, I'm a little, uh, I, I don't know, eccentric or, you know, I, I'm very adventurous in my jazz playing. I, I, I won't really stay in a box. You know, I, I love being on the edge with jazz music. I love being, you know, out there. So, I'm pulling in a parking garage. If I lose you, I'll call you right back. But just sure. It, I think it should stay working. But yeah, how I approach all of those different things, it's, you know, and as a classical musician, when I go play Strauss with the symphony, I need to play, I, you know, I've studied excerpts in college so much that, you know, when I would have those gigs, I don't do those gigs that much anymore, but when I would have those gigs, 
you have to play a very specific thing or you 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 don't hang you know that's that's what the job requires for a minute there, I thought when you said I'm pulling into a parking garage, you were getting ready to expand into a elaborate metaphor of all the oh. instruments and paths that you could park into, and you explore oh, that's a that metaphor. path. I know. I, I I thought you were going there. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. So, well, let's, I mean, um, we could go there. We could totally go there. My my <laughs> studio my studio is basically a you know when when you when you ask like how do I do all these different things or like be inspired? Well, when I come home. There's a piano and all of these instruments under the piano, and there's a, a my studio area that has all of my electronic music things and my guitars. And so, what I have to decide when I have a free, you know, I just look around the house and whatever I'm inspired with, I start playing. So it's kind of like a parking garage where all that stuff is just there. Metaphorically, musically, I, I I don't know if it works to go all the way there, but but yeah, definitely works. So the one thing that has struck me throughout the years is knowing your story from the very beginning of doing Neon Jazz. I've known about the crop of Kansas City musicians. And the thing that's always struck me is is that you have had a unique ability throughout your career of weaving in not only a busy schedule, but you've always had family as the backbone, like with Drum Safari with your wife, the Draper Family Band with your father. You talk about, you know, playing the guitar, serenading with your daughters, Talk to me about how not only gratifying it is to weave in your family into your professional life, but how that became such a thing for you to do and become a priority. Okay, that's a great question. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. In 1976, my dad got a phone call from Keith Richards to come out to Massachusetts and play with the Rolling Stones in a studio. My parents had previously lived um, in Massachusetts, and my dad worked with a band. One of his best friends worked at a studio, and my dad played in that band and did tracks at the studio. And they'd, my dad plays Hammond's B3 organ, and he, he's ridiculously good. So, 1976, my daughter, my my uh, sister had just been born, and um, dad gets the call. And he freaks out, and he realizes if he goes back out there, he's he's going to lose his wife, and he's he's not going to be a part of his daughter's life. So he said no, and it was like kind of a scary thing. I grew up hearing that story, and as my dad was telling me growing up, he was telling me to make sure I chase my dreams, make sure I you know say yes to those opportunities. But yet, in the backdrop, I was also being taught that family matters. So fast forward to my sophomore year of college, I began dating my wife, Taryn, uh, T-E-R-Y-N. She is also a drummer. She and I, uh, we both went to the same school to study with the same guy. Uh, she also plays uh, West African drums, Middle Eastern percussion, drum set, everything. So we just, we've been best friends for uh exactly 20 years <laughs> so um so th that's that's why you know i grew up here in that and then also man my grandma was next door growing up i grew up with her right next door and her hammond organ in the living room and she'd let me play pots and pans and um when i was seven years six years old i took two boom boxes 
and I took some blank tapes from my dad's studio, and I took my tape of Michael Jackson, um, uh, Thriller, and I took the song Billie Jean, and I played it on one boombox, and I recorded it onto the tape of the other, and I made a stack of copies of the song Billie Jean. So I had all these single tapes with Billie Jean on it, and I sat on the front porch to sell them, because I was like, man, everybody else is doing a lemonade stand. I'm going to sell this song. This song is the jam. Like, Billy Jean, man, that's way better than a cup of lemonade. So mom came home, and she's like, you can't sell other people's music, Brandon. Like, that's, and your dad's going to get, you might be in trouble for, you know, <laughs> recording over all your dad's blank tapes. And then my dad came home. My dad said, yeah, Brandon, you can't, you can't sell other people's music. you got to write your own. And it was like light bulb went off. And so I went next door to my grandma's house and wrote my first song. I mean, that was like age five, age six, seven, something in there. I don't, I don't even know. Um, but that's where the family, you know, it was family and music and school and like all of that just completely was woven together. And I guess it kind of set me up for where I'm at now. My, my wife and I run our production company because my career with what I'm doing is busy enough that keeping drum safari and everything going, we, we need to work together. She taught for 17 years as a first-grade teacher. So now we homeschool our kids. We go on the road whenever the gigs, you know, require. And uh, it's just all, it's all the same, man. There's no, there's no boundaries. So even in my, you know, my musical path and my, my personal life, there's, there's really no boundaries. Right on. You know, the one thing about your life, you know, you kind of have, you almost hold that uh, Dick Clark youth about you, but you've been around so much. You've played at festivals with the Santa Fe Symphony, the Kansas City Symphony, concert halls. You've played with Bobby Watson, Kevin Hayes, Dick Oates, Steve Coleman. You've been around. You've kind of been through this massive compendium of action, geography, musicians. Do you ever just sit back and think about all of these things that you've done and what what really surfaces to the top that makes you think, wow, out of all of this that you've lived as a musician? Um, I'm almost 40, and I remember when I was a kid being told, like, I remember 40 was, like, over the hill, or, like, folks weren't doing anything. I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel like I'm just starting to figure, like, I've, I've, ta- I've tried all the things, I've tasted all the... <laughs> all the the stuff and um I've had some extreme highs, I've had some extreme lows and I'm just I don't yeah, I, I don't know. I I'm I, I spend a lot of time really thinking about being like in the moment in the present, so it's hard to it's it, that's a tough one. I can tell you a story about every single one of those gigs, you know. Yeah. So um yeah, I mean, Kevin Hayes called me once when we were playing together, and he's, like, he's telling me that he doesn't really want me to try and play like some of the other drummers that he plays with. Because I was trying to emulate drummers he played with. And Kevin was like, you need to play your own, you know, make your own sound. And it really messed me up. Like, what does that mean? And But then after a month of, you know, working with him and doing other stuff, I started to develop and... You know, Steve Coleman, by far the most challenging and amazing jazz musician I've ever played with in my life. You know, 
the rest of the guys. I mean, I could I could go. I I, I have great stories for everything. <laughs> so yeah. it's almost like, it's almost like I've gotten to collect all of these experiences that now. I mean, you know what's going on is you know I teach at the university here. And through this new music enterprise certificate that I'm that I'm heading up, I'm kind of getting to hang out right at the edge of music education and entertainment because I'm seeing kids on a week, you know, on a daily basis. I'm seeing kids working with them on new projects and what's happening in the music industry. As a result, I'm getting to call and contact all the cats that I've played with over my entire career. And some of them will come into my class if they're in town. Some of them Skype in from the Internet and talk to my kids. You know, I, so there's that, that's another piece where it's like it keeps me connected. So even though I'm not out on the road touring, doing all the crazy stuff, I get to stay connected with all these guys. And as a result, by staying connected with them, I'm actually playing more, <laughs> you know. It's like, oh, I, you know, a few years ago I was just, at home putting my kids to bed and now it's starting to open up a little more and so I, I just have to keep a balance so reflecting on oh, my yeah. career it's like you know I I have a tendency to take on a lot more than a normal person would and um, so I just have to keep myself in check for that yeah well before we move into kind of your teaching part of your life I want to ask you this what advice have you gotten from a teacher that's really resonated? Something that provides you a good historical backbone for you as a teacher? Dean Kranzler, my primary teacher from Salina, Kansas, is almost like my second father, you know? So he's a ridiculously, um, I, what's the word I could use? He's, he's an, meticulous. He's a very meticulous educator. And he taught me about, you know, in college he taught me about taxes. <laughs> he taught me about, you know, how to handle all the financial aspects of, of drumming. Um, and there's probably a few hundred stories from Dean alone that helped shape me. Secondly would be uh, Doug Talbot, my high school band director. You know, I, I can't think of one specific, like, I was sitting, um, okay, here's one. In New Mexico, in graduate school, I played a transcription of, like, Max Roach or something like that. I think it was a Max Roach solo. And I thought that he played a, a role a specific way. And my teacher was like, no, listen to it again. And I kind of, I kind of got upset because I was like, no, I figured it out. Well, he was right. I, I hadn't, I hadn't dug in deep enough. So, you know, it's possible the, what could be said is, you know, in that, in that position, what I learned was, you can always dig deeper. You know, you can always, you can always get to another layer. And, and I think that holds true with anything. Still now today, things that I'm studying and trying to figure out, you know, there's, there's always another, another layer to what we're studying. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. With your approach to teaching, how do you approach teaching and what do you want to get out of your students? I have a lot of energy, so I approach 
with uh, a lot of positive energy and you know I, I want I want to inspire I think that's the main thing is if a student is inspired to go do work or you know find what makes them click as far as drummers I don't ever want any students to sound the same or sound like me I want them to find their own voice so that's that's maybe the important piece is you know it's not about me I guess that's that's the main thing you know, and, and how I approach even doing my kids' stuff with with Drum Safari, the, the motto is it doesn't matter what you play, it only matters that you play. And that's uh, that's what Bongo Berry used to say. Bongo Berry was a, a guy named Barry Bernstein, a music therapist and children's artist that passed away in 2009. He was uh, one of our, one of my wife and I, uh, he was one of our mentors in that he he developed the Rhythm for Life program with Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead, and he did a lot of clinical research with Alzheimer's patients using music therapy uh, back in the 80s before music therapy was as, as powerful as it is today and, you know, a career path as well as multiple college programs. So I'd say my approach is is that of, you know, inspiring and then, you know, try and find very solid, achievable goals so a kid succeeds. Beautiful. Let me ask you this. Why do you love Kansas City? Not only the city, but the jazz scene. Why, why do you love it? Oh, man, when I moved here, there was uh, just a, a, a lot of young people doing, you know, adventurous new things. And over the past, really six years it's ballooned so much there there are so many incredible musicians that 20 years ago you know even 15 years ago you you wouldn't have had that that cross-section of modern to traditional you know um my best friends are are all the cats (laughs) you know so you've got i mean i could just list them all off but you know you know everybody so it's you know, I, I think that's what it is. It was it was very embraced. I, I was able when I first moved here, I was able to you know put my own band together and play original music in odd time signatures, and people came out and enjoyed it. And it you know we you you don't have to just play one style. You know, there really aren't any any clicks. Um, so I guess that's it. It's just the diversity. Um, obviously, the geography is important as well. Just being, you know, right dead center of the U.S., it makes it pretty easy to fly in and out. So, right on. What does your future look like when you look down the line, say several years up to a decade from now? What What does Brandon Draper's future look like? I want to continue doing what I'm doing. I want a sprinter van really bad. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> Uh, my wife and I want to get a sprinter van that we can convert and put bunk beds in. So that way, when we do our, our trips, uh, with drum safari, our kids and our dog and, and all, we, we can travel that way. Right now we have a small van and a trailer, but, um, that's like the first thing on, on my list. Um, we get to travel to Colorado every couple months and, uh, different states to do all the drum safari things that we're doing. Uh, the, 
I think Drum Safari is going to expand quite a bit in the next couple of years. We've already got three different teams that go out and do what we do. So, like, when we're in Wyoming, there's another group in Iowa, and there's another group in Kansas City. Um, so that there, there's a future there. University of Kansas, I, I just hope we're staying at the edge of, you know, what the industry is is requiring or, you know, what, I, I'm hoping we can be innovative through our program. So probably be in the same spot. Um my parents are going to be moving up this way very soon, and we've been talking. We, we're planning to buy a place together or find a multi-house property so that Dad and I can have a studio together and my kids can grow up with Grandma right there just like I did. So cool. ten, years from now, I, ten years from now, we're going to be having the exact same conversation. I'm going to be involved in a bunch of different things, and I'm going to be excited about them all and... You know, you know. One thing that we didn't touch on that is has been, you know, something that I, I've not done so well at. You know, what what in my career have I not done so well? I've, I'm not really good at playing the exact same thing over and over and over, night after night after night. So that's partly why I'm constantly changing and involved in different things. Um, so playing in a pit orchestra for six months would it would not be for that's not for me um playing in a pit orchestra for a couple of weeks no problem you know playing a, a pop show that's the exact same music over and over i i just don't know about that you know unless it was music that i wrote so um i don't know if that helps but yeah that's that's what the future looks like well it's it's artistic restlessness it sounds like mhm mhm yeah so, you know, I my, think my, given... my wife calls it my wife calls it hypomania. <laughs> a chameleon with hypomania. <laughs> right. That's the title of the article. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think what you've done over the course of this conversation and interview is give me an idea of who you are. But I want to get more pointed here, and I got two more questions for you. First of all, I want to know why do you love jazz? It's always changing it's surprising it's untouchable it gets to the edge of every uh value i meaning meaning you know it can be loud and chaos and it can be silent in a whisper it can you know you can be waiting for for what that next thing is going to be and you don't know what it's going to be as a listener and as a player it's an it's an incredibly advanced language that when you play with you know the best of the best or the most adept players the possibilities are 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 completely limitless yeah i think that's it perfect so everyone has a version of you your family your friends your colleagues your fans but who is Brandon Draper? Who do you think you are? I'm a dad. <laughs> I'm a goofball. Uh, I like to tell jokes. Uh, fast. I'm really fast. I want to do everything fast. I'm going to do it faster than you. <laughs> I'm going to get there. I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to get there before you. Uh, I'm nice. determined. I'm determined. I have a hard thing letting thing. I have a hard time letting things go. Uh, being positive and negative. 
Um, I'm a supporter. I'm incredibly enthusiastic. I really like to goof off. I really like to... Um, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was driving my Jeep down the highway and I hit a pothole and it kind of bumped. And I was like, yeah, the Jeep is... I got an old Jeep that's awesome and I love it, but, you know, old Jeeps are... If you go too fast, you're in danger of them rolling over. And I thought, you know, this is... Some people might consider this a dangerous vehicle. I also ride motorcycles a lot. Um, and I grew up skateboarding. And so um, I'm adventurous. I, I am the one that's going to jump, <laughs> you know, not not to take my life. That just, that's not what that meant. But if we're standing on a cliff and there's a body of water underneath, I'm, I'm going to jump. Like, let's go. Come on. Yeah. Brandon, thank you, man. Have a great day. I appreciate Perfect. you. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks again. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City at spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Brandon for his music, his time, and his hustle. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.